Hello, I'm Paula Jenkins, a transformative life coach and retreat leader. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that talks about the stories of people following their hearts, finding work that lights them up, and looking at how joy plays a part in their journey. To learn more about this podcast, head on over to jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website at paulajenkinsonline.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 15 of Jumpstart Your Joy. Today, we have an amazing guest. It's Ms. Allison Arngrim, who played Nellie Olson for seven years on Little House on the Prairie. I had so much fun in this fast-paced interview that is just full of laughter. Allison gets us up to speed about her book, about her upcoming shows, and she spills the beans about some of the behind-the-scenes antics on the Little House on the Prairie set. It's really a joyful, joyful episode. You're in for a special treat. And I want to give a big hello, howdy, and welcome to any of my fellow bonnet heads. If you guys are new to Jumpstart Your Joy, I am so pleased that you are here. It was definitely a delight and a pinch me, I'm dreaming event to get to speak with Allison and spend time talking to her about the show that we love so much. I invite you to head on over to the website and go to jumpstartyourjoy.com slash Allison Arngrim, A-L-I-S-O-N-A-R-N-G-R-I-M. And on that page, I will have all the show notes for this show, including the links out to the the many places she references, including uh, the Night of Dreams um, event. Also, a special invitation on December 22nd at 10 a.m. Pacific. I will be recording episode 16, and this is a new format for me. I'm going to be doing a live online audience in a webinar fo- in a webinar format. We'll be doing some heart-centered goal setting for 2016 and beyond using my own 10 in 3 method. <laughs> and I'm also going to have some prizes. So head on over to Jumpstart Your Joy, and you can sign up for that event using the button on the right-hand side of the page. And now, without further ado, I bring to you the interview with Allison Arngrim. Welcome to the show, Allison. Oh, thank you. Hi. Hi. It's such a joy to have you here. Oh, Um, very, very nice of you to have me. Yes. Yes. Um, Growing up with a family in entertainment, what were your early sparks of joy? Ah, I did like making people laugh. I mean, I think it was fate that I wound up going into stand-up comedy and various characters I played, like Nellie, have been the comedy relief. Early on, I did. And I mean, sometimes it really was to diffuse tension or difficult situation, you know, something terrible was happening. But I found that when grown-ups, even if they were in a bad mood or they were mad or whatever was happening, that I could make people laugh. I could make people stop doing what they were doing and laugh and be happy. From it. And I know I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, I loved laughing and I loved making people laugh. And I, I remember very early on that that was a thing. And now, of course, it's like a huge main component of my life and career. Yeah, because you've gone on and, and done a lot now with stand-up. And we'll get to it more later, but kind of the Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, which is your book. Right. Uh, so what were some of your early roles before you got to... Yeah, I started working so young. You know, people think of me, Little House, Nellie Olson, go, well, that was pretty young, weren't you? 12. I've been working for years. Little House, you know, it was hysterical. Little House in the Prairie at 12 was actually my comeback role. (laughs) It was my second career. I was going to say, I'm on my, like, 87th comeback. 
that was my comeback role. I had started working at six. I think it was auditioning at, you know, three months, but I was working at six. And, you know, I did the usual commercials and things. I had, like, two lines in Room 222. One of the first things I did, there was a panel show in the 60s called Juvenile Jury. It was kind of a ripoff of, like, the Art Link letter kids say the darndest things. Everyone was doing that kind of stuff. So it was a panel show with very smart little kids, and they would ask us questions and advice and have celebrity guests on, and we talked to them. And it was actually pretty well done. I was on that several episodes. I was sort of like the Kitty Carlisle of the third grade. I was on a panel show. I did a movie when I was 10 called mm-hmm. Throw Out the Anchor with Richard Egan and Dina Merrill. It was terrible. I don't know how they got Dina Merrill and Richard Egan to be in this movie. Um, we did this movie in Florida, and I got to you know hang out in Florida and ride on houseboats and play with animals. It was completely silly. They're actually releasing it on DVD in France with French subtitles as like mm-hmm. this weird underground cult classic because I'm in it. <laughs> right. And I don't know what else they'll really, they're going to think it's an art film because it's not actually a good movie and it doesn't even make any sense. But I said, okay, fine. They'll just think it's like some surrealist thing. or so. so I did a bunch of stuff like that. And when I was 11, I wasn't working very much. And my father actually sat me down and said, well, you may not work again. You might not work again until you're 18. Or you might not work again. You might not be an actress. It could be over. And I was essentially being told that I was washed up at the age of 11. And then about six months later, I got the role of Nellie Olson, a little house in the Aquarian, worked mm. solidly for seven years. So, yes, technically my career was over. <laughs> I was almost into retirement. I was finished. <laughs> and I got little house in the Aquarian. So Nellie Olson was my comeback role at 12. Yay. And thank God. Thank God for Nellie. Right? Thank God. I mean, really. It was like over, man. I was 11. It was terrible. The audition for Little House on the Prairie. I love when you describe the moment that you, I think you were with your dad, that you realized that Nellie, I'm going to use air quotes, but is different. Uh, right? Would you share like about that and kind of maybe your reading for her? Well, that's so incredible. I because it was so crazy. I mean, you audition for kid parts when you're a kid actor. There's all these roles. And especially that era, we're talking early 70s, you know, 73, 74, and children, they were very nice children. It was a real Brady Bunch kind of era. And mm-hmm. if you auditioned for a kid role, generally you were playing a real, I was a pretty little girl, so very sweet parts. And it was always like, yes, mother, oh, pa, you know, it was all these nice girl roles. It was a little boring, frankly. There weren't any evil children. I mean, yes, they'd made the bad seed, but they weren't putting that sort of thing on television. So I get there, and I don't, I hadn't read the Little House books. I had no clue. I was clueless. I had no idea. So I didn't know there was a Nellie also. I didn't know they had a villain in this piece. So I get there, and I get these sides, and I start reading. And immediately, I mean, this girl is awful. She's awful, the things she's doing. She's in school, and she's making fun of them, and they're in the store, and, and, and they want to buy something. They say, well, it's an extra penny. I don't think the country girls have a penny. And then she goes into this absolutely ridiculous speech about her house, and it's not an essay. She's listing everything in her house and how much it costs. This girl is, like, out of her mind, and she's going on and on about everything costs, and it's actually very clear in the speech. She's really kind of doing a number on herself. Nellie is so involved in how fabulous her house is, she doesn't realize that she's actually giving away that her family is not terribly popular. My favorite line is when she says, and we have three sets of dishes, one for every day, one for Sunday, and one for when someone very important special comes to visit, which we have never even used yet. <laughs> now, she's so proud that they got a set of dishes they haven't eaten off yet. But she's just said when someone important, 
which we've never used because they're nobody. They live in Walnut Grove, Minnesota, and they run a store, and they're not important, and they don't know the Queen of England, and they don't know anybody famous, and no one is coming to visit. And she's just kind of telegraphed this, and this child does not know this because she's so involved in how much her dish has gone. I'm dying to laugh to read, and I think, this is great. But I turned to my dad, and I went, this, this girl is a bitch. I don't know what to do. And he said, what? what you I said, this is not a normal part. This girl, she's terrible. She's awful. It's strangling. And he said, well, read it to me. And I started, my home is the best home in all of Walnut Grove. I started reading, my father starts cracking up. He said, this is great. And then he said, don't read it again. I said, what? Because normally, well, let's go through this. He said, don't touch it. Put the pages down. Don't even look at them. Do not read it again. Don't look at it again. Go in and do it exactly as you just did it. Don't touch it. Don't think about it. Just say it. Just say it exactly as you just read it. Wow, Okay. I went in, and there was Michael and Kent and the gang, and I did just that, and I said, okay, and I read the thing. They're in fits. They are cracking up so hard, they're falling off the couch. And then they said, could you do it again? And I said, what do you want me to change? They said, nothing, just, just read the thing about the house again. <laughs> and they weren't okay, and so they wanted to see if it was a fluke, like, could I do that twice? And I was hired immediately. I mean, by the time we got home, the agent was on the phone. It's like, the wardrobe fitting is Tuesday. It was done. It was done. And it just blew my mind, because here I go in and I'd read for all these nice little girls and didn't get them. And then I go and I read for the part of this absolutely objectionable, you want to smack her in the head girl. And what do I do? That one I get hired. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did I, what did I do? Right. What does this say about me as a person? <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you think? I mean, did you, did you self analyze or did you, know, did you have the self reflective moment then? Or was it just like, this is great. Well, mostly, being a family of actors, it was like, oh, my God, you got a show. I'm taking a sip mm -hmm. of coffee. Mm. Yeah. And we were so jazzed that I got in a series, and it was a great part. But I did, I said, we did, but I get this part, which, which, and this is the one, okay. And I just said, what, what does this say? Now, of course, everyone thought this was hilarious, and when I said to my father, but but I'm being hired to play this, he said, yes, a shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> um, so they just laughed in my face and went, how Aww. hilarious that you get it was kind of nutty for me because, if anything, I was the kind of person to be the victim of a Nelly. I was bullied at mm -hmm. school. Um, you've read my book, uh, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch. You know that I suffered physical and sexual abuse as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I was more someone to be attached by. I wasn't a Nelly. I was a Laura. I was practically Baby Carrie. I mean, I did. You know, I was bully fodder, and now I was going to play this girl who everyone was afraid of, who was the bully. Yeah. And I thought, well. How convenient. And it really, it did wonders for me. As I said, I was talking about Nellie saving my life. It's, I've joked about, like, how small animals will change their coloring in the wild to, like, look like a more dangerous animal. Mm -hmm. This is basically what I did. Because <laughs> it was so not me. And here I played this intimidating, terrible girl. And people were afraid of me. And it was great because I was really shy and I was terrified of everybody. So now suddenly everybody was terrified of me and I could walk into a room and instead of hiding in the corner, people were backing up and I was like, well, it's more like it. Um, so I was really able to use it to my advantage. Yeah. And there's this great moment. Uh, and thank you. It's so it's. I'm sure people say that it's uncanny to hear the Nelly come out like that was just delightful. Right, just boom, yeah. through a switch, there she is. Yes, there she is. Especially the my home, because yeah, that is a that mm -hmm. is a cringy little moment. And, and and people love that speech, or people watch it over and they love that episode, and they go, oh yeah, no, no, the essay, the my home thing, it just kills people. Yeah. They love it. Well, because and the other one that kills me is the long-legged snipe snipe <gasps> moment. Snipe. 
Where what is, a thing? What do you look at? I, mean, I remember the time, what the hell is even a snipe? But it's certainly a long-legged And snipe, 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 snipe. Yeah. What a thing say. Yeah. And, and, and these girls just arrived. They haven't done anything. We don't even know them. And we start harassing them on site. I mean, these are awful people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and having moved a lot as a child, like, and I'm a little brunette girl, and I was probably, like you were saying, like, I totally relate to Laura. I'd read all the books, and, and then it's, ooh, like, I'd read it, but then seeing you do it, it was like, oh, it was just all of that, I don't know, that anger coming out. <laughs> just amazing. Right? Yeah. I think that's why the show resonates with so many mm-hmm. people. I think it's, you have to figure why is this television series that was on 40, 40 years ago? We had a 40th anniversary. And so 1974, that's a long time ago. So it was 40 years why would a TV series, it was a hit 40 years ago, be airing every single day now in 2015? Why would a show like that that is so American, it's the ultimate American show. You have Laura Ingalls Wilder, the ultimate famous American author, who wrote these books that were one of the biggest hit children's books ever in America, and writing about the great westward expansion and the prairie and homestead movement, so American. Mm-hmm. And this is a hit all over the world. And the French and the Argentinians and the Japanese are obsessed with this. It's in Iraq, it's in Iran, it's in Israel. Why are people in Sri Lanka <laughs> watching Little House in the Prairie? Mm-hmm. What is going on in this show that these people all over the world are attached to this? Yeah, and what do you think it is? I, I think because they can identify. I think as yeah. you, you said you watch it, and you, you immediately, you didn't watch the show and say, oh, this is a good show. My, it is well written, and the acting is great. You said, I'm angry. I'm angry. Right. I identify with this girl, Laura. I look at their tweet on the ah, and the anger welled up from everything. Everyone, that's pretty intense. This show, it did that with everyone. It people reacted mm-hmm. viscerally, emotionally to it immediately. They went, oh, I wish Mom and Paul Ingalls were my parents. Oh my God, I wish I had the dresses of Nellie. I wish mm-hmm. I was mean like Nellie. Oh, I wish I'm gonna do what Laura did. I'm gonna go punch out the bully at my school. And Nellie. People immediately identified with characters, and they cried, and they laughed, and they were sucked into the plot, and apparently it works in every language. Everyone can identify. If you look at the Ingalls family, they're poor, they have a lot of children, and live basically in two rooms, and are dependent on the weather and crops. That's how most of the world, in the real world, lives. Here in America, we, you know, with our three-bedroom houses and our two cars, and we watch TV shows about people who are terribly rich, most of the entire world's population, they're living in a couple of rooms, and they got five, six kids, and they don't have anything to eat. Mm-hmm. You tune in, there's the Ingalls. Oh, look. <laughs> there, yeah. so anybody can identify with this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, American background, would I have seen it that way? So thank you for pointing that out. Because, yeah, and there's something... I mean, the wholesome bit of it, too, is so lovely. And, like... Everyone can watch. Everyone can watch. And even the harsh episodes, because, you know, we didn't didn't shy away. I mean, Little House in the Prairie, people died all the time. We had Mm -hmm. episodes about drug abuse and child abuse and alcoholism and violence and... And losing babies and, yeah. The baby dying in the fire. And and Albert's (sighs) girlfriend, Sylvia, gets raped and dies and pregnant and... All of these things happen in the show, yet they were handled in a little house in the prairie, Michael Landon kind of way, that some of these subjects that people never would have sat still to to think about or discuss were able to now talk about these things because of little house. Right. And did Michael Landon, did he talk about 
how he got to those plots? Because obviously many of those were departures from the original book. Yeah. <laughs> was there a sharing of like how they got to the plots? Well, or the, or it the was real, real basic. I mean, his first thing he ever said very early on, very early on the first season when people said, well, is it exactly like the books? Because it's like Banks of Plum Creek. It's following that book. He got Doc mm-hmm. Baker. He got the mail. He got it. He said, you know, I read the books. There's an entire chapter on how to make an apple fritter. I <laughs> can't is. film that. And he was right. He said, look, you know, we have an entire hour show every week. If we followed the book, we'd be done. We could get through all of the books. We'd barely make it through the second season. We'd be on the the last book. Mm -hmm. We have to have character development where they're allowed to do things, but obviously within the framework. But, yes, we're going to write episodes, and we're going to have things that didn't happen in the books because we don't want to bore people silly. Mm-hmm. And we have all these characters that could do. What if Doc Baker did this? I mean, we have these fabulous characters from this book that could oh, yeah. have their own life. Mm-hmm. And he did that. So that was genius. And then the really harsh episodes really was very much an emotional reaction from him. We we sometimes joke that somebody would review the show, TV Guide, or someone would do an article about Little House, and they would pick a really tame, boring episode, and they would say, oh, it's a children's show, and it's kind of saccharine, and nothing really happens. They'd pick an episode about, you know, Baby Carrie, and say, what a lovely, happy children's show. And Michael would go bananas, (laughs) because it was a family drama. It wasn't a children's show. We had all sorts of things happening. And the joke was, oh, dear, someone wrote a terrible review of the show. Someone's going to (laughs) die. That if they wrote a review that said the show was boring or too tame or didn't do anything exciting, Michael was going to storm into his dressing room, slam the door, get out the pencils and the yellow legal pad, and the next episode we were all going to have anthrax and the town was going to burn down. So (laughs) that essentially was the system. (laughs) I love his passion. I mean, it was clearly there, but who knew? Yeah. And I think that's why it worked. I mean, there's... Oh, my God, if I go through all the episodes, there are episodes that are completely, completely about things that were happening in Michael Landon's life personally that he was upset about or felt strongly about and decided, well, we'll just have a show about that. And things, things crept in from everyone's life. You know, I did take a test and graduate high school early. Mm -hmm. That's in the show. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember going, why? What are we doing here? And it happened all the time. Things yeah. happened. They go, well, that's an interesting idea. Let's put that in. And they would do things in the show. And Michael often wrote episodes about things. Well, all those episodes about anti-Semitism with um, mm, Albert yeah. and the Coffin Maker. And then Nellie marries the Jewish guy and his parents come to town. And the whole Jewish versus Christian thing with the Olsen. Yeah. This is all about Michael's family. Yeah, that's right. right. His father was Jewish and his mother was Christian. They never agreed, and it was very traumatic for him. So he inserted his own stuff and worked out his own therapy constantly in the show. Mm. And that might sound selfish or weird, and what does that have to do with Laura Ingalls or a TV show? But it worked, didn't it? Yeah, and it was real, and maybe that's exactly... He was exactly had, the... Because the emotions were there, his emotions were so strong behind it, the passion was there, and it was real, and he made it personal... It made it intense and it made it real and people were watching. They may not have realized this entire episode is simply about him, (laughs) but they got it. It was so powerful. They thought it was about them. Right. Yes. Well, and that's also some of the magic of like seeing 
you know, seeing myself even like both that I could be like Nellie, but I was yeah. probably told that no, a nice girl, whatever, doesn't act like that. But, right. but, there, but she was inside. And the flip of it being that when I ran into the mean girl at school, I'll be totally honest, I would go home and practice in the mirror talking to Nellie Olson and say, well, I'll tell you what, you know, like right, that right. Was, so I, you could role play yeah. by watching the show and watching Nellie and go, and yeah. people said, well, how is Laura handling? Everyone, everyone knows Nellie. Everyone knows Mrs. Olson. Everyone yeah. has one of these people in their lives driving <laughs> them crazy. Yeah. So they could watch the show go, well, okay, Laura st- stood up to her, and that was clever. And, oh, look at Caroline standing up to Mrs. Olson. Well, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, hey. Yeah, but still respectfully, most of the time. I mean, No, so take up with Laura, which is haul off and belt me and fight me in the mud. So, yeah. <laughs> and put more mud in your mouth. <laughs> which, you know, I in this case, I had coming, and it worked. Oh, yes, yes. Well, and you were dear friends with Melissa Gilbert. Do you want to talk a little bit about that friendship? To this day, and you know, She's running for Congress, and I'm totally, oh. like, backing her and, and been to two of her fundraisers, and I'm going to be hitting my friends and going, no, really, don't it? Um, it's true. Melissa is, she's awesome. Um, I mean, we hit it off right away. There was chemistry there, and that really, I think, translated to the performance, why we were able to play such great enemies, because we're mm-hmm. actually very close. And we, we knew no one would get hurt, even in the mud fight. Nobody was going to really hurt anybody, so we could go crazy. Uh, and Melissa's even said it. She said, I think we were able to go to places other actors couldn't really go because we were friends. Mm-hmm. Had we actually disliked each other and were playing enemies, somebody might have gotten hurt. <laughs> but yeah. we were able to, to this day, I mean, she's a very interesting person. You know, she said she was president of the Screen Actors Guild for two terms, yeah. which that's how Ronald Reagan got started in politics. That's right, yeah. He was president of the guild, and then he became governor of California, and he became president. And she's sort of following this trajectory. She's president of the guild. She did a lot of lobbying when Schwarzenegger was governor. Mm-hmm. She was going to Sacramento to talk about making sure that Hollywood production was staying in California and lobbying him. And then she moved to Michigan. She married uh, the actor Timothy Busfield. Mm-hmm. And he's originally from Michigan, so they went, eh, let's go. They were, I think they were both at a point, they were saying, I so need to get out of Hollywood, I'm so over it. And so they got married and said, let's go to Michigan, and they went to Michigan. And they were there a couple of years. Some guy was running for the governor, and she got interested in his campaign and was back in. He didn't get in, but she got involved in local Michigan politics. And she started talking to people, and she started talking to people who live in Michigan. She made friends with all the neighbors. And... You know, we've all seen what happened to Detroit, and we yeah. saw that economically yeah. things have been really rough in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And it's a gorgeous place. I mean, they got the lakes. They actually have massive resources, but there's a lot of people who are having enormous financial problems. She said, well, they need help in Michigan. Are politicians really helping them? And people asked her, well, do you want to do it? And she said, well, well, if you run for Congress. And they said, you're in a small district, you're in the 8th district, small district. You could do this. So she is running for the congressional seat of the 8th District of Michigan. But the thing is, when you run for Congress, even if you're wherever state you're from and however tiny your district, boom, you're in Congress. You're in Washington. That's, that's right. That's awesome. And that means that even you you may be representing your constituents and say, well, my people in Michigan, we need jobs and we want to have more like green energy type industry. But it also means you're a voice nationally, and she's very interested in uh, veterans and veterans' health care issues. Her father was a veteran. She's very interested in child abuse issues. She's going to be in Washington when they make national decisions. She's a voting. That's amazing. Well, and the good that she could do there, too, like 
I mean, right? A lot of actors. I mean, if you go, good Lord, everyone from Al Franken, uh, Sonny Bono, for God's sakes. I mean, look at the number of famous people. Sheila Kuehl from Dobie Gillis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. California senator, uh, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Ronald Reagan. I mean, and both sides of the aisle, we've had dozens of actors become very – Clint Eastwood, mayor of Carmel, yeah. very successful. It yeah. totally can be done. And for God's sakes, Ronald Reagan was in bedtime for Bonzo with a chimp, and he was president for two terms. <laughs> yes. So when someone oh, says, well, somebody's definitely. an actor, I'm going, Ronald Reagan made a movie with a chimp. New president for two terms. Shut up. What? What do you mean someone's an actor? So? This hasn't stopped anyone. Right. Um, they have great life experience. Right. Because, more... because they, people will go, oh, he's an actor. They can speak well, possibly do better in the speech and relating things to people because of that training. They have that bully pulpit. People listen to them because they're famous, so they may get more play than another person in the office. Mm-hmm. Melissa, like Reagan and many other actors who rose up through the ranks, worked in the union, was the president of the guild. She did stuff with AFL-CIO. She's been on uh, boards of directors of charities. So she she didn't just sit home. So, yeah, I'm so obviously, I'm all for it. <laughs> and it, it's kind of funny because people are like, wait, Nellie's backing Laura. I totally backed her when she ran for the guild. Uh, some of her constituents actually did do a T-shirt with the Nellie picture on it. Oh, did they? And dissing her opponent. She's running against a guy named Mike Bishop, and there's oh, a Nelly t shirt that says, Even Nelly says, Fire Mike Bishop with a Nelly snarling face. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, Yes, I want. She's like, Here, you need to wear this shirt. I mean, yeah, I totally do. <laughs> oh, that's so classic. I'm going to have to do a search for that one to see if we can put it in the show notes because that is Oh, my God. Awesome. Yeah, well, she's got a whole website and everything. I mean, she's, okay, really, well, she's all out. She's doing it. I'll go look for it. That is awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I think it was, I mean, if we tie it back to the show, too, it's like I think everyone, until you guys have come forth and been like, yeah, we're buddies. Like, I don't, I think during the show, nobody, we would have all assumed, like, you guys were arch enemies. Just well, like you were on the I mean, we really laid it on thick. I mean, <laughs> I can see where people would have trouble believing you because when we fought, we went, we went, well, what fun. What, imagine getting a job where you and your best friend go to work and they're paying you a substantial sum to hang out all day with your best friend. And then they say, okay, we're just seeing. Now you guys have to beat the bejesus out of each other. Take a <laughs> swing and do your worst. Yeah. And you and your friend get to roll around in the dirt, swinging at each other and yelling and screaming and carrying on. How hilarious. Wouldn't you yeah. take that gig? Every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, Every the mud fight? Oh, my God. We get, to, you know, okay, now we're doing a mud fight. Okay, now it's come to that. We actually have a mud fight. We got to, We were in hysterics. We had trouble keeping a straight face half the time. Mm, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm thinking of my my best friend Tammy, and yeah, like. Uh, Wait, you would do that if they said, "Okay, so you're, here's the job. Um, yeah. You have to like pretend like bitch fight, slap each other, pull each other's hair, and yell and scream at each other, and have a mud fight. And we're gonna pay okay. you to do this all day." Yeah, that's awesome. Of course. And we were good little actresses. Both Melissa and I, I, I feel, are intelligent and talented people, so we knew how to lay it on. And we really went all out. We just went, okay, let's just make it like we're going to kill each other. Let's just go past enemies. Let's go with we hate each other and want each other dead. That'll be good. And so <laughs> as actresses, we decided to really go all out. It's like, well, here's our big chance. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. People loved it. They just loved it. And and they believed it. I, I I was at a party at Melissa's house, and some of her guests said, so when did you two start getting along? They were shocked that I was in her <laughs> living room. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Well, 
40 years old. I mean, it was ridiculous. I assume you still get the reactions that you've talked about, like just of people coming up and saying things to you. It's hardest on my friends. Sometimes they don't quite have the nerve to actually come up to me and go, so are you awful? But my friends, my husband, my best friend, people come up and go, well, what's she like? (laughs) I I was just in, I was in Texas, um, Andover Fabrics, the uh, people who make this marvelous, they did a line of fabric for like quilting for people who like Downton Abbey. And of Mm -hmm. course, their new one this year is, surprise, surprise. The Little House on the Prairie line of fabrics. Very sweet. All yeah. licensed, official, official Little House on the Prairie authorized patterns. Some of them are even based on 1800s patterns that Laura would have actually used. I mean, it's very cool, very pretty stuff. And they had a big launch. Of the, and I, of course, invited me and uh, Charlotte Stewart, who played Miss Beetle. We, mm-hmm. of course, were brought in to help do, be the celebrities do the launch. And we're like, yeah, we'll do that. That sounds like fun. So we're talking about quilts. And I met all these really nice people from the quilt company, then the fabric company, lovely people. And the second day, one of the guys who I'd spent the whole afternoon with hanging out with showing off fabrics, and he had taken selfies. He was a big fan, too. And we talked, and he took pictures with me and sent them off to his mom and his family and his friends. The next day, he comes up to me, and he is laughing hysterically. He says, I don't believe it. I mean, you told me I had read your book. I can't believe it till it happened to me. He said, a friend of mine saw the pictures of you and I and said, oh, you met her. Was she nice to you? <laughs> he said, this is a grown person talking. Right. <laughs> and she was concerned. Were well, you okay? Was she nice to you? And he said, what? What? She kicked me in the shins. What do you think? She's a grown, she's a grown woman. What are you talking about? Of course, she was nice to me, but she was a role. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the moment, kind of back to the book, like, it, at first you were kind of amazed that people were calling you a bitch. Stunned. And like, Stunned. And like, what, like, what, what? Yeah, like you walked into school, That was it the first day after the pilot or the first Literally, episode? Literally, yeah, the, the Country Girls, Country Girls, the one with my home, had aired, and I went to school the very next morning, and this girl on the way, bitch! Whoa, wow, that fast, because I guess it was, it was like, really that quickly? Yeah. That quickly, right now. Okay, we're doing this right now. I mean, it's not like, oh, I'll be on the show for a while. Maybe it'll settle in. Maybe people will hate me. Maybe they'll love me. Okay, I just started, and they're in my face right now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now well, what like, do I do? I'm and so just, I was I was yeah. floored. Um, yeah. But as, as I described, I said, well, I guess I better, I better figure out what to do. I need to hit the ground running because clearly, I mean, talk about tiger by the tail. Mm-hmm. Clearly, more people are watching the show than I anticipated. It's a bigger hit than anyone anticipated. And apparently, I was meaner than I thought, and my character has struck a nerve, and people are freaking out. Uh, <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. So I quickly went, well, uh, okay, all right, this is how it is. Let's... It still amazes me. Every mm-hmm. day, someone says something or something happens where I'm like, I, I cannot believe. My husband thinks it's hilarious. I mean, he mm-hmm. dies of laughter over the thing. But every day, someone comes up, and now it's great because people come up and go, "I hate you," or "I hated you." I have had so many people come up to me and say, "I love you." And in the last, gosh, I guess it's really the last two weeks, I have had three different people in public places walk up to me and literally not say like "Hello, good morning," but say, "I love you." Now, I luckily knew they had recognized me. Otherwise, I would have thought, like, it's like a Hare Krishna thing. Why is this stranger coming up and telling me 
telling me that they love me. Yeah. I don't even know you. I was in a supermarket buying organic stuffing for Thanksgiving, and Mm -hmm. I was in the vegetable aisle, and a strange woman about my age appeared in the vegetable aisle, left her cart, oh, excuse me, I love you, and then continued talking and then explaining herself about Little House in the Prairie. Yeah. Well, if you imagine if you're in the produce section, this woman just walks up to you and says, I love you, and then starts, I'm like, okay. And then last, last night, literally last night, I, we were at the theater, and we were waiting because it was opening night, and I'd gone with a friend who knew the composer and everything. We went to see Bridges of Madison County. Okay. And one of the other came to, oh, sit down next to me. Now, by the way, I love you. Now, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> hi, and who are you? <laughs> Yeah, and do they really, do they then, like, recount their story of, like, either a, yeah, is it a personal like, oh, thing? Yeah, but I'm they... talking to Cobb, I love the show, and I read your book, and blah, 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 and well, my husband's over here, and he wants to meet you, and can I get a cell, and then they explain, can I get a picture, can we talk, and I'm like, yeah. oh, yes, sure, terrific. But it's hysterical, because <laughs> complete, total strangers walk up to me, and they don't say, hello, my name is Susie, and I just recognized you, you're Nellie Olson, and oh, I love your character. They walk up and say, I love you, and then start talking. <laughs> that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like, or, like, confusing. I mean, am I like, the only one who thinks that's odd? <laughs> a little out of context, maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. And if, I, and if I'm distracted, I mean, like I said, I, I was looking for asparagus. I mean, I was, <laughs> what, didn't really, wasn't thinking about this. <laughs> right. I was shopping for business. So this woman says, I love you. And I went, oh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> like, I love you too. What? Who are you? Yeah. Well, and I think maybe That's it's not, nice. Like, Do you know where my artichokes are? What? Hell, I <laughs> a truly, like, human moment. Like, because clearly you're not, I mean, you're an actress, but you're also Allison. So. And then, you know, she wanted pictures and selfies. Now, I wasn't... I wasn't wearing any makeup. I said, okay, well, I'm, my hair is good, okay. And I she's like, no, you look fine. I checked the picture. It was okay. But it's like I'm in a T-shirt and jeans, and, and there was, like, schmutz. I'd been cooking. There was, like, food on, the, you know. I had, like, run out to get stuff and had no makeup and was T-shirt and jeans. And this one was going, I love you, and I need a picture. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I said, you will tell people that, like, we're just in the produce aisle. I was, like, grabbing food for dinner. So it's like... <laughs> They don't expect me to be all made up, right? Right. Well, and it's, I mean, there's something so, um, well, your book is so genuine and uh, and so courageous. Thank you. you. Yes, of course. It's, and I'll link that up. It's so worth the read of, I mean, both, obviously, the Little House on the Prairie stories are amazing and, and heartfelt, but really the personal journey of, of your growth and, well, and living through early abuse but then your realization of like you wanted and needed help and and what Nellie had meant to you like exactly yeah and, and that's the thing that you know so I threw in everything and the kitchen sink um I encourage you know I'm actually I'm encouraging other people to tell their stories and write their stories in fact um you know okay I, I guess I can do this problem. Charlotte Stewart who played Miss Beetle mm-hmm. is now there will be a book from her she is working on her book Oh, wonderful. That's going to be a happening thing, and it's going to be freaking awesome because Charlotte Stewart, not only was on Little House on the Prairie, she did everything. She, You know, you know that she was uh, on Twin Peaks. She's friends with David Lynch. She was in David Lynch's first film, Eraserhead. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know. 
she's Mary X Men, and she was in Speedway with Elvis Presley, and she was friends. She ran a clothing store in the '60s, and she was friends with all these rock stars, including Jim Morrison. Oh, Miss Beetle, and Jim Morrison, <laughs> and David Lynch. Wee, okay, um, <laughs> very interesting life, and she's and when she said, "Oh, I don't know," and I was like, "Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it." Because she's very human and very genuine. I was like, yes, just do it. It's tell the truth. Tell your story. Tell a genuine human. Because this is what people want. People want to connect to each other. They want yeah. to feel your They want to feel a connection, especially with people who they've seen on TV on Little House on the Prairie, who they're so emotionally connected with. Mm-hmm. They want a connection. So if you're going to tell your story, just lay it out. Don't try to sugarcoat it or try to tell the truth, and, and people can, they can relate to you. Yes. Well, and in part because you guys, I mean, the show itself, that's what, I mean, as a fan, we loved was it seemed very real and Mm -hmm. like we could relate to that. But also because I think there's more of a movement anymore of people. I mean, we want to, we want to connect authentically as humans, like. Exactly. And we're we're feeling alienated, even just like immediate things going on in, in our own country. Like, I don't know, but I, it seems we like all hate each other, and then we're all on the internet. We're all friends on Facebook, but we all hate each other in real life. Um, Amen. Yes. And and well, also the the whole internet. We're all friends. Ha ha ha. We're all following each other on Twitter. We're all talking on the internet, but hardly anyone's actually talking to anyone. Yeah, it's so true. It was there's and, a um uh this guy. God, I'm going so many fabulous tangents. A really great video, a cover of the Simon and Garfunkel song, uh, Sounds of Su- Sound of Silence. Mm, yeah. And I was listening to it, but they're realizing that, again, the song, why it holds up. It's so freaking timely. People uh, talking without speaking. Mm. People hearing without listening. And I'm going, you know, and the neon god they made. I'm like, is this predicting the internet? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was like, point. oh, right. Well, how are you, you know... All of these people, how how are you you speaking, you know, talking without speaking, hearing without listening, writing songs that voices never shared? And, uh, well, that's what we're all doing. That's, that's Facebook. That's the Internet. Mm-hmm. That's what we've yeah. become. And it is a joy. I mean, that's interesting because, uh, I mean, I've just been through life coach training and, and got certified. But cool. at one point, um, one of my mentors called me out and she's like, I get the sense, and she's a very loving woman. She's like, I get the sense that you want to connect without connecting. And I was like, oh, I'm convicted. Like, you know, like the deep religious. And that's sense what everyone's doing. But that's true. So yeah. everybody's doing is connecting without connecting. Yeah. But there are brutal. people, I mean, I see posts all the time on Facebook from people, some I know, and people, well, once again, what do I have on Facebook? I have my, my friends on Facebook, but I have people who are fans who I've never met who are my friends, quote, on Facebook, and sometimes I talk to them and they're very nice, and sometimes I do meet them in real life. I see posts all the time from people talking about how lonely they are. I've Mm -hmm. seen people post almost suicidal threats, and we have to, like, phone around and make sure they're okay. But Mm -hmm. people will go on Facebook and talk about, I don't know anyone, I don't have anyone, I have no one to talk to, I'm completely lonely, I don't have a date, I have Mm -hmm. no friends. And on the Internet, they have 3,000 friends. Right. This person yeah. has 3,000 friends on paper, and they're completely sitting alone in their apartment, have no one to talk to, and are so lonely. Yeah. So call one of them. They call one of them. Um, so it's like how weird that you somehow have the time and energy to connect with 3,000 people you don't actually know and call them your friends, but you don't have one person in real life that you're talking to who's your friend. That's, that's really out of balance. 
I mean, yeah. it's one thing to have some people you chat up on the Internet as long as you have a real life. But how out of whack is this? And this isn't like one or two times that I've seen this. I see every day. I see every day multiple posts from people talking about how lonely they are and how they don't have any friends. And they mm-hmm. go, but you have all these, not in real life, but you have thousands of people. So what, how does this work that you've changed your life to the point that you have thousands of people you call friends that you don't know and no yeah. one that you can talk to? Yeah, and I don't know how to best change that. I mean, I've seen on the flip side of it that, like, social media can be a definite force for good. I mean, I've Oh, had... it can connect people. Many people, especially if they live in isolated areas or, heaven mm, forbid, yeah. they, they have some sort of disability, they're homebound. Yeah. My God, they can get on the Internet. They can actually connect to people yeah. that they wouldn't have connected to, and then they can Skype. So, yeah, there's people who would have been deathly lonely 20 years ago who right. now go, oh, my God, I actually met some people on the Internet. and, and But they're going... They're taking that extra step. They're continuing going, okay, do you want to really meet and getting on the phone and actually meeting some of these people. And there are people who absolutely met via the Internet and now have a real relationship. (laughs) Yeah, me and my husband. (laughs) Right, right. People have met their husbands and their wives on the Internet. Yeah, yeah. We met in a video game of all the crazy things. (laughs) That's now, but see, that actually, weirdly, almost old-fashioned and a good way to meet. I've always told people that the way to meet your husband or wife or get a decent boyfriend or girlfriend Mm -hmm. is to be doing something, is to meet them while doing Mm -hmm. some activity that you like. Don't go to just the the bars or a a singles club or join a dating service. Go out and play tennis, go bowling, take a pottery class, take your dance lessons, do something you enjoy doing, Mm -hmm. and then go meet someone who also is playing tennis, going camping, taking cooking classes, whatever. Right. And that's the person you want to hang out with. Yeah, you online, but you are playing <laughs> yeah. a game that you enjoy right. playing. That just thing yeah. that is a hobby, a thing you do. Is that how you met your current husband? I met I met my husband at um. Uh, it is funny to say current husband because it's Hollywood. I know. Um, I was married before briefly, but I I've been married to this one for 22 years, so I think okay. it's stuck. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Yeah, sounds like that. We joke, we always say, he's my second husband. He goes, well, you're my last wife. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Um, (laughs) He's, I'm not going anywhere. So we met because I volunteered at AIDS Project Los Angeles Mm -hmm. when Steve Tracy, who played Percival in Little House and who got Mm -hmm. sick with AIDS, when he got ill, I went and volunteered at AIDS Project Los Angeles. And Bob was the director of the Southern California AIDS Hotline. And that was the hotline back in pre-internet days. Mm -hmm. Now there's free internet hotlines. People would phone to find go, I don't know what to do. I think I have the virus. I think I may be sick. And this was in the early days. Somebody said, well, I need to get tested. And this is before, well, there isn't a test. Sorry, but they would talk to people down and calm them down. It's like, I don't know what on earth they had to say to them in the first few, the first year or two because can I get tested? No. Is there a treatment for this? Well, no. Do we know what causes it? No. Do you really know how I got it? Not really. Are there any doctors treating me? Not very many. <laughs> is there anyone I can go see about this? No, not really. Is there a cure? No. Is there a test? No, there's not even a test. I mean, my God, how depressing did that have to be? Right. And so Eventually, much we were able to tell people, it. oh, yeah, you can get tested here, and we have a list of doctors who are really good at treating it. There's a whole list of medications that people are starting to try. Here's the experimental drug. If you call these people, you might get an experimental drug trial. Here's... So we had finally places to send them for something, at least, mm-hmm. and information we could give them. But Bob wrote the training manual and oversaw the training. Mm-hmm. And when he started, 
they they had like a handful of volunteers. And by the time he left, they had hundreds and hundreds of people running this hotline. And they went from something like 400 calls a, a week to 4,000. I mean, it was he blew it up. And his training manual that he wrote to set up the training sessions for the hotline wound up getting used all over the world in, in Canada, France, Russia, and China. Amazing. So, very cool guy. So he was doing that, and, <laughs> and I met him and, as a volunteer. And we became friends. We're hanging out. It was very when Harry met Sally. Yeah. We were friends for like seven years, and we just kept meeting up and doing things and hanging out as friends, and he had a girlfriend, and I was married, and then I got divorced, and he broke up with his girlfriend, and then we were having lunch, and then we decided we should, well, I asked him out. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it turned out we were perfect for each other, and we got married in 1993, and we've been married ever since. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. But there you go. We were both doing something that was very, very important to us. We right, were helping yeah. other people and doing something that we felt strongly about that was being of service to other people. We weren't just hanging out somewhere, you know, eating beer nuts and, you know, drinking vodka. We were, like, actually going, this is a thing that I'm doing because I'm focused on this goal and this is important, and we met doing that. So we yeah. learned a lot about each other. In fact, our big joke was we did all the big issues and we didn't do the small talk, we were married already, and I realized I didn't know what his favorite salad dressing was. <laughs> yeah. How funny, yeah. I was in the supermarket. I said, what kind of dressing? Do My God, I have no idea what kind of dressing he likes. Mm. I could tell you how he felt about life and death, but I couldn't tell you what kind of salad dressing he likes. <laughs> I think that's probably the better foundation is to know someone yeah. so well. that yeah. Who, do you want to marry the person where you know how they feel about life and death, or do you want to mm -hmm. know, marry the guy you know that they like the same salad dressing? It's, you yeah. know, it turned out we did like the same salad dressing. <laughs> and that's so true. That often happens. Yeah, I, bought, but, I bought like four different kinds. I had no idea. I got to like some ranch and some French and Italian. I bought like four different kinds. I don't know. I hope he doesn't like ranch. Ugh. So I bought oh, like yeah. a couple kinds. And then I said, well, I'm going to get the poppy seed dressing because I like that. And yeah. then I brought it all home. And I said, I'm sorry, I just realized I, didn't, I have no idea what salad dressing you like. So I bought, like, several different kinds. And he went, oh, that's silly. You didn't have to do that. I knew. And then he looks at the dressing and goes, oh, good, you got poppy seed. Mm. I said, you're telling me that's the one you like? He's like, yeah. I said, that's the one I like. He said, so you only really needed the one bottle. You could have just bought the one you liked. It's my favorite. That was such a sweet, more synchronicity, but like just so sweet exactly. that you bought so many and then, yeah, of course it's but, the same. But I do find that when people meet doing something they're both really interested in and that is bigger than the both of them and more exciting mm -hmm. and has more meaning and et cetera and it really involves them as opposed to just focused on, well, I'm trying to get a date, I yeah. think that the relationship has more potential to last. Yes, I fully agree. Yes. Yeah, in our situation, it was like we knew because it was a game that we both problem solved the same way, which then has been very helpful even in IKEA furniture know. building. Yeah. Okay, so. right. Here was something you had a similar interest, and then the things that are skills in the game world that attracted you to the game, you both feel the same way about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Brilliant. we don't argue that much about them. Yeah, no yeah, because like, these are things we both like. Yeah. All, yeah, yeah. We're, that's the thing is I know I always know Bob and I are on the same page about the big stuff. You know, yeah. we might disagree about like what color to paint the house or something, but we're on the same page politically, spiritually, life interests, what it all means. We're we're on the same page. Yeah, and that's beautiful. That's 
that's something worth coming home to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's somebody yeah. who's on your side in your camp. He also, Bob is a very um, chill sort of person. Bob finds many things about life to be sort of bemusing, if not downright amusing. So the whole thing of people coming up to me and saying crazy things, like I have a friend who's an actor and he's like saying it's very hard on his wife and she's just at her wit's end and he's not even like, as you said, I'm not even like famous famous, Mm -hmm. but having strangers come, oh, I know you and it's confusing and weird for them and they're like, how do we deal with this? We don't even know yet how we're supposed to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Bob thinks it's a riot. Yeah. And Bob just what people come up. I mean, he's standing right next to me, and people come up and start ranting and raving and saying crazy stuff. And he's just standing there, like biting his tongue to not bust up laughing. Right, there. he's having a great time. Yeah. He's like, yeah, get the popcorn. Oh, this is, this should be good. <laughs> well, yeah, because it is. I mean, to the outsider, it is kind of I'm sure bizarre. I think I would have the same kind of reaction of like. I, you know, I like this person, and this is, in his case, your, his wife, and and yet people just come up and act like they know her. <laughs> and know? yet, but he's not threatened because he right. gets it. He's intelligent yeah. because, oh, yeah, well, they saw her on TV. Duh, she's Nelly Olson. What am I going to do? She's an actress. <laughs> this is how it yeah. goes. And he carries, you know, he, he's the one who came up with what we call the pocket Nelly because People would come up and say, I really want an autographed picture, blah, blah, and I didn't have anything. Oh, I need your autograph. And I was signing people's mm-hmm. legs and arms and cocktail napkins and things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have eight by tens, you know, at the beach or in right. line at a movie. And people were stopping us in places where it just wasn't really convenient. Like, so Bob said, well, you know what we need? We need the pocket Nelly. We need a pocket size autographed picture. Yeah. We can carry and we also were getting fan mail from all over the world, and the Germans, for some reason, send really tiny envelopes. The return mm. envelopes, they said, I don't, I don't know why. Just the Germans. Just little tiny return envelopes. Because I can't fit a picture in this. So Bob said, well, what if we had a little tiny picture that fit in the German envelope and in, like, my suit jacket pocket? Yeah. I said, this is genius. So it's like a little three-by-five card. That's it's got so a great awesome. Nelly picture on it. And then on the back, we do stickers. Again, he came up with this. Stickers, which has the website, where to write for an autograph picker, and has, like, where to get the newsletter and even a sticker promoting the next gig. So there's essentially advertising. There's stickers on the back with all the contact information on the website. Mm. And so he has some of these in the briefcase, in the pocket. I have a couple in the purse. So they're on us so we could be stopped anywhere, in the airport, any kind of ludicrous situation, and someone has a fit. And Bob goes, oh, wait, hang on, and pulls out a black Sharpie, and one of these pictures, and the person so, gets a fully fabulous autographed photo on the spot. That is ingenious. Yes. And, and it, we're not inconvenienced. We're not having to cart around 8 by 10s They're yeah. getting their photo right there and then, and it's a really good one. It's a really funny picture. It's like terrible, awful Nelly face. And it, with a Sharpie, so it gets a good mm-hmm. autograph. But we've also just handed them a big pile of like advertising because there's yeah. this website and all this stuff on the back. It's, I, I tell other actors, it wasn't expensive either. It's because it's a little tiny card, and the stickers, you just go get those little Avery labels and pop them in the thing and put the – it's ridiculous. That is awesome. Yeah, and, that's and it was so smart. But yeah. here is someone – there are many actresses, their husbands, they don't really like all this stuff of going to the party and she's getting hassled. Mm, yeah. He's carrying the pictures and vans. <laughs> <laughs> he made up the pocket Nelly. <laughs> he made up the pocket Nelly. They're coming up and babbling at me. He's like, would you like an autographed photo? And he's pulling the thing out. <laughs> that is great. That is so awesome. <laughs> because he thinks it's hilarious. He's like, oh. he says, oh, their reactions. The look on their face when we pull out that photo. Yeah. Oh. I love that he delights in that little moment. That is so cool. 
Oh, yeah. He said, he said, just the look on their face is just totally worth it. He says, hilarious, the faces these people make. And he put it as he said, look, I see how happy they are. If I thought I could make people that happy by writing my name, I'd do it all day. I love that, too. <laughs> and he has a point, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, that's the thing. You get in these, talk about joy, you get in these situations You can't always pick what insane things life is going to throw you. I didn't know when I was a child and I said, oh, sure, I want to be an actress. I said, yeah, I want to be an actress when I was six. Oh, yeah, right, like I knew what I was doing. I didn't, so I can't really say, oh, yeah, I chose to do this. I was a child and everybody I knew was on TV. So then I get, oh, I went to the audition because I was going to auditions. I didn't pick the audition. My parents threw me in the car and the agent said, there's an audition. I went and I got it. And mm-hmm. it wasn't really like at 12, I said, mm, no, I don't really want to do this. I mean, what was I going to say? So, and I didn't pick Nellie. I didn't know there was a Nellie. So I got there, and then once I was there, I went, well, I'm here. So I gave it my all. Did I know it was going to run for seven years? Did anybody? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I know that 40 years later, people were going to be getting in my face about this character? <laughs> right. Who could have predicted Never. Absolutely not. Never could have predicted that. And I know that's why you see a lot of ex-child stars and actors. They're not happy. They're very upset. They're going, I don't want these people coming up bugging me about this thing I did 40 years ago. They don't like it. They're annoyed. Mm. I'm like, there's nothing I can do about this. At some point I realized unless I was going to change my name, have plastic surgery, and try to find a country to move to where they don't have the reruns, what exactly was it I was going to do? Yeah, it seems like, and, and you can correct me, obviously, if I'm wrong, but like, it seems like you've taken that and realized the power of Nellie yep. and then translated that into like a greater good, which is I'm, so I'm just... very much of the, if you can't beat them, join them philosophy. And I know other exceptions, I know other people like me, they go, oh, I just think, God, when they bring up the show, I go, uh, it's, it, the whole thing gives them a headache. Yeah. And and they do not want strange people. I mean, I know plenty of people. If somebody came up in the produce aisle and said, I love you, they'd run screening out of the store. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they'd have a fit. Yeah. And a lot of people do not really care for this lunacy. At some point, I sort of, because I have that weird thing where I can sort of step back and look at it from the outside and go, well, that's odd. I looked at it and went, well, what a bizarre life. What an odd thing to have happen. And also, you can't stop it. I could stamp my feet and rant and rave and yell at the lady in the supermarket. You know, the next day it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not going to go away. There's nothing I can do. I can't make them stop showing the reruns or selling the DVDs. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. So, and, and I obviously can't get the genie back in the bottle, whatever nerve I hit with Nellie Olson. Too late. So what am I going to do? I yeah. can run and hide. I could walk around yelling at people for liking me. Uh, that doesn't seem right somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I could say, all right, what can I do with this completely insane set of circumstances mm-hmm. to my advantage, to everyone's advantage? What Could I use being this notoriety, this bizarre fame to, oh, I don't know, teach people about HIV and AIDS, raise money for AIDS organizations, teach people about the problem of child abuse, raise money for Protect, the charity that and the uh, political organization that are helping children. I could do that. I could do, use this for that cause. I could make all these kooky people coming up to me in the street saying, I love you. I could make them happy for a mm-hmm. moment or a month or whatever it is. 
I could find things about it that are entertaining and amusing to me. So as long as they're going to keep running up and saying crazy stuff, I could have a good time. Right, yeah. And also I could, hey, I could come up with, oh, I don't know, books, T-shirts, autographed photos, and, oh, I'm having a line of candles done too. And there's a lovely ceramic pony you can buy. That's awesome. Yay. So I can sell them stuff. There's that. <laughs> well, and what a choice, too. Like, I mean, that's one of the big things that comes through in this show is that, like, joy is a choice, and we keep yeah. choosing it, like, all the time. So You always have a choice, no matter how, like, seeming, even horrible, ridiculous situations. I And in this case, you really do. If, if you somehow get yourself in a bizarre thing like this where everybody knows you, you have, like, 800 different ways you could answer the question or you react to the situation. And in this case, it's like, well, I'm doing a thing where um, I'm also able, as I said, to sell them a product, which is hilarious. And then I'm making them happy. And then I'm doing things that are benefiting others, using it for charity and to raise money and raise awareness about important issues. And I'm providing hours of entertainment for myself and my husband. And that is, I mean, at the core, that's also super important because, I mean, that life is here to be lived. Right. Yeah. And, and so and here's a situation where not only am I going, well, there's nothing I can do about it, so I have to accept that this is simply how it is. I've then gone the next step, go, okay, well, now how can I have fun with it? What can I do to make it more interesting and more fun for me? Yeah. And that is such an inspiration. And it's, I mean, is that where the book slash show of Confessions of a Prairie Bitch came out yeah, of? Is that place? People kept asking me, coming up and asking me the strangest questions. And it got like funnier and funnier. I mean, people ask interesting questions and they ask completely crazy questions. Well, I always say the top two, are you really a bitch? Was that really your hair? What was Michael Landon really like? Are you and Melissa Gilbert really friends? Where did you film the show? What's your favorite episode? How much did you get paid? Do you still get residuals? Is Albert gay? And what the hell is wrong with A.D. Carey? <laughs> and I swear those are like over and over again. And I, and it got so funny. These people asked me these questions. Yeah. They really are obsessed with certain episodes. And they, what if I answered their questions? Yeah. And I began writing more and more about it. And I was doing stand-up. And then I, the first time I went to New York and, they said, well, we really need a long show. You need to do that. Wow. And I, I talked about in the book. I went, an hour and a half. Good Lord. Well, that's when I said, well, let's put a Q&A section. We'll do a question and answer session. And I put that in the show. And it became a thing. And so the show became about telling stories that answered the questions. And then we had a Q&A. And it was a smash. People loved it. So I kept doing that. And then I was like, well, I, you know, as the literary agent said, is there a book to go with the show? I said, yes, there is. And the book became very much about, okay, Here's what people want to know. Here's your answer. Yeah. Yeah, and I love because there's I don't I don't think I have it at my fingertips, but there's that there's a quote from the book about how of that show that you said something about that you realized you were free because all you had to do was I, I think you used even the expletive of tell the fucking truth. Like that's all yes. you had to do. Tell the fucking truth. And this is a crazy thing because if if many acting classes, if you go to ever go to acting class, very often what they have to tell is tell the truth. Don't lie on stage. Yeah. Just make it real. Tell the truth. And in stand up yeah. comedy, what are the best comedians? We love the ones who get up and say outrageous things are telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. you read a book, when you, you say, What do you like with it? Well, I tell people write a book. How should I do it? I should tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I got up on stage and I would I told them the fucking truth. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I gave them shit and called it shit at that. And people said, well, about time. We've been waiting to hear this. And they were thrilled. And, yeah, and they love you all the more. I'm sure right. of it. And, and, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and you're also 
um, more even more recently part of this new series of lecture lectures that you just did the first one about new 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 and new yes um Carolyn Carolyn Peterson who has this whole um thing that she's uh doing she has a a thing she does night of dreams she's had a couple of um let's see who did she do she did a my three sons photo gallery whole event with cast my three sons she did a starsky notch tribute dinner uh and they met david soul and Pimola glazer and so which is these things where it's sort of like a special evening and she's been doing like lecture stuff with different celebrities but tonight of dreams is a special evening where you you be it's it's not cheap and it's not like you just pay a few bucks to go to an autograph show but it's hours, hours. It's a small group of people at a really nice restaurant. We're going to this place called the Anaheim White House. Fabulous restaurant in Anaheim. And you go to this place and you get a full thing with cocktails and dinner and multiple cast members of Little House in the Prairie. And it's not just like, well, they're here, but you can't talk to them and just get your autograph. No, you sit down to dinner with us. Awesome. And I'm going to be there, and Allison Balson, who was Nancy, my yes. adopted sister, there's rarely a Nellie Nancy sighting. Mm-hmm, We're rarely right. together. We've only been at one or two, like, cast reunions. She's very busy. She has a whole singing uh, musical act she does, and mm-hmm. so she's not in L.A. very often. And so this is one of the first times you've had, like, a Nellie Nancy sighting. Of course, Dean Butler, Almanzo, will be there. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Stewart, Miss Beadle. Rachel Greenbush, who's Baby Carrie. Rodimus Perrault who was John Jr., the really good-looking oh, yeah. Edwards when they adopted Patricia Neal's kid. He's mm-hmm. going to be there. And, you know, he was he was on Kung Fu. I had no idea. Do you remember Kung Fu? Remember? Yeah, Little yeah. Little grasshopper snatched the pebble from my hand. Mm-hmm. Everybody says it. Everybody says, snatched the pebble from my hand. Little grasshopper. He's freaking little grasshopper. He's the kid in the flashbacks in Kung Fu. Oh, my gosh. He's little grasshopper. So little grasshopper grew up to be John Jr. <laughs> <laughs> And he'll be there. And he will be there, and he's wonderful. He's going to be there, Charlotte, Rachel, Dean, and hilariously, a man named Dan McBride. And this is like, if you're a hardcore fan, here's what's so funny. Because this is Dan McBride. You watch the show when all the restaurant scenes, there's a guy who keeps coming to the restaurant, and it's always like, I think I threw a plate of bread at him. I know I hit him with a chicken. Catherine McGregor, Mrs. Olsen hit him with some pancakes. He's the guy in the restaurant scene that Mrs. Olsen Nelly always has some horrible altercation. He's going to be there. <laughs> he, gonna... he wound up coming to the big cast reunion in Walnut Grove last year in 2014 because by fan popular demand, they didn't know where he was. He popped up on Facebook. We started talking. He posted these really great photos he had from when he was on the show, and everyone went, oh, my God, it's the guy from the restaurant. We love him. Where is he? <laughs> and they're like, he's on Facebook. He's alive. He's up there. And all, he writes back to me because, Hey, how come I have like 300 friend requests and half of them are from France? What's going on? <laughs> I have like, no idea. I said, you don't know that you have a following? Because why would I have a following? I'm like, dude, you have a following. And he was totally floored. And then he came to the reunion and they lined up to meet him and get his autograph. Either, and he's a really, really funny guy. I mean, he's got a great spiel. When you get him there, he's hysterical. So yeah. Dan McBride, the guy who I hit with a chicken, will indeed be at... <laughs> The tribute dinner on March 19th. The Night of Dreams, March 19th with Dan McBride, yes. And it's going to be really fun. And we're also plotting a whole thing that with the upgraded ticket, we're going to take a small group the next day out to Big Sky Ranch in Simi Valley. Everyone says, I want to visit where you film the show. The sets aren't there anymore. I say, well, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing there. But the ranch, and it's gorgeous, and you can see where baby Carrie fell down the hill. 
Excellent. still there. So we're going to take a small group out there. And a lot of people really, really get excited about that because, I mean, you really, the tree, the, the place where the house was, that tree with Paul fell out and broke mm-hmm. his ribs. I mean, it's, it's yeah, there. Wow. And, and so, so she cool. does this. Carolyn does these things, Peterson Productions, and it's very clever. She does these kinds of, so we're doing that. And then she came to me and said, well, there's this other person I know, this woman named uh, Georgette. Georgette, she started a thing called the Girl Cave. And this is genius, too. It's out in Huntington Beach. She got this room and totally redid it, decorated, made it this really, as she says, elegant but comfortable. It's for women. She does a lot of baby showers and bridal showers. But people do workshops, lectures, classes, and it's called the Girl Cave. And as she calls it, a comfortable place for women to leave their troubles at the door. And it's really great because it has everything. You can set it up for a lecture, a meeting, a party, and and it's really well decorated. So she said, well, she wants to start doing more things there. What if we had a series of lectures where these female celebrities coming in and talking about things would be of interest to women? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I love that it's called the Girl Cave. I love it. It's beautiful, small, intimate space. I said, I'm in. So we talked, and so I did uh, a whole lecture there in November called um, More Than Just Surviving, mm-hmm. talking about coming through sexual abuse, surviving, and like being able to really live your life, that yes, there is trauma, yes, you do have PTSD, yes, there is re- physical issues as a result, it is hard, but you don't just have to be a victim, a survivor, that this is all you got. You can go on and live your life and be happy and do things besides just survive the event. And the real issues of child abuse and all the stuff I've learned with Protect and all the terrible things that are going on and what we can do to stop this and things we can do to help. And I gave a whole speech on this and had Q&A and people really liked it. It was a hit. Mm. So we're going to do it again. And, oh, it yeah. and we want to do, I said, you know, I want to do more public speaking over the next year. And I really can see where, I used to do quite a bit um when I was doing stuff with AIDS Project Los Angeles and AIDS, I had everything from safer sex workshops to discussions of HIV and politics and everything. I said, I'd like to see multiple workshops talk about issues affecting uh, child actors because so many people now want to get their kids into the business and we now see how difficult that really can be. Talking about more about sexual abuse and the problems they're in and Talking about, well, writing. Everybody now wants to write their story, and there's lots of things I've learned from writing my book. I'd love to do a whole series of talks, lectures, connecting with people, letting them ask me questions, these kind of things. And I see the Girl Cave as a really awesome space to do that. Mm, yeah. And now Carolyn's talking to a bunch of my friends, a bunch of other actors and actresses going, well, actually, I have this talk that I went. So she's now putting together like a whole circuit and, and she may do a whole, uh, really a whole symposium about the indomitable spirit, people who've survived mm-hmm. really difficult things. And she wants to get them all together um, at like a whole you know, sort of convention and tell their stories. That's gorgeous. So and yeah, so, so it's completely new. She's yeah. doing this whole new thing with the indomitable spirit of getting all these fabulous people who survive difficult things and have great stories. And yeah. then Georgette has this girl cave, this whole women's space thing. And then I'm starting to do my whole speaking thing. And then we've all sort of collided in the middle, and it's going to be great. 
I love that. Yeah. And it kind of comes full circle on what we were saying about social media and like mm -hmm. the lack of connection. I love that you guys are being drawn into real spaces with real connection and real Exactly. And, and that's the thing is a lot of it's on the internet and that's I think how I met her. I mean, we all kind of were talking, we've exchanged all this information, but it's like, well, yeah, but what if we had a thing where people come in person? Exactly. Is there anything else? I'm working on a second book. I said I'll be doing more lectures. Uh, there's a marvelous show called Prairie It's a Little House on the Prairie, the musical parody, Prairie It's It's like a mad magazine parody of a show, but with singing and dancing. It's oh the silliest goodness. thing anyone has ever done, ever. Live on stage. Oh, it is live on stage. Okay. And they cool. just did a run of it, and I actually came in as a guest star for two performances as the Mrs. Olsen character. <laughs> I got to play my, my mother, yes. Marriott Molson. It takes place in Almond Grove. It's a complete send-up. It's sure. marvelous. And uh, Nellie is actually played by a six-foot-four man named Drew Drogi, who is a brilliant actor. But Nellie Olsen is a guy in drag. It's that funny. Um, oh, my word. I love it. They are going to be doing it again. They're going to be doing it in January, but it's like a one-night-only thing on January 30th. Um, I have shows in Philadelphia, New York, and France starting in May. There's just going to be more and more stuff happening Yay. constantly so you should get the newsletter i have a newsletter the nelly newsletter oh. comes out once a month tells you where i am okay. tells you what the rest of the cast is doing and it's really fun and it includes the um the adventures of sock monkey sock monkey secret oh. agent sock monkey so there's a saga of sock monkey <laughs> included in the newsletter. <laughs> i it's love a story him. about the monkey. it's very confusing but there's a re it's a really great newsletter because it's like okay alice is going to be here oh this week's prairie tidbit links to some obscure video that somebody from the show did that you've never seen and then like and then sock monkey walked into the bar and, and then you get the story about the sock monkey i love it so how does why not because <laughs> you can and it's because, and my husband writes it that's bob writes it he writes a saga of oh. sock monkey he just started doing it one day for no reason I love it. how does somebody sign up for the nelly newsletter um you can sign up for the nelly newsletter by emailing loose gravel prod at aol you email us, or um, if you go to my website, uh, which is at bonnetheads.com, mm -hmm. for course, all yeah. you prairie bonnetheads, indeed, bonnetheads.com <laughs> yeah. is the Allison Arngram official page. We have email Allison to let her know you visited the site or sign up for the fan club email blast, and it's right on there, and you click, and away you go. That's cool. Yes, I will totally put that in the show notes, too, and follow up on any of that. Yes, I see you. There and then Loose Gravel Prod at AOL is also on there. It says voiceover film, comedy events, you know, email Loose Gravel, mm -hmm. and you say, I want to be in the newsletter. We get your email, and boom, you're in, and you start getting the newsletter complete with the saga of Soft Monkey. I love it. That because is wonderful. <laughs> I know because you can, and it's right. awesome. And um, yeah, well, and before we go to, a, I have a couple last questions if you. Sure. Have a, um, but I mean, first, thank you so so much, like for everything, like being you and being so transparent, and like ah, for all the fun too for today. Oh, thank you is what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're very good at it. So, if someone listening has a big dream about how they can make a change in the world. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to them about bringing their dream into action? Absolutely, do it. Um, write it down. Write it down. That helps. You want to get a little further. Just and I mean anything. Get a pen. Get a steno pad. Get a notebook. And physically write it down. What do you see? Um, you can do and you can write it down anyway. You could write it like a paragraph, or you can make little boxes. Make a little diagram. Sometimes that helps. 
But try to get it on paper so you can sort of visualize it and explain it. Find a way to explain it in brief. That way you can get people to help you so you know what your dream is. By God, use that Internet for research. You may find people who are already starting work on this project that you have in mind or find out who are the people who can help you make that happen. Um, there's so many things now that we didn't have 20 years ago between Kickstarter and GoFundMe and all these things. Have you seen the stuff some people have gotten oh, GoFundMe yeah. money for? Yes, and some of them are for amazing things. My friend some has them right now. Stupid but, things, and some are amazing oh, yeah. things. And I said, but you can do it now. It can be yes. done. So there's so many more resources that an ordinary person can access nowadays. So I would say absolutely figure out what you want to do, and then make a plan. Go, okay, what do I need? What do I need? Like things and people. What do I need? And who do I need to talk to? And use that internet. Go find those people. And, and then you go, well, I don't have any money. Well, go on GoFundMe. And, yeah. and start and get out there and talk to people. As, as my father, the late Thor Ungram, used to say, mm-hmm. you got to hang your ass out there. <laughs> yes. He always, when, when I, he found out that I you know, met a literary agent and I got my book deal, and he said, well, was it a workshop? You were doing your show like a showcase for literary agents? No. He said, somebody introduced you to the literary agent? I said, no. He said, somebody brought the literary agent to the show? I said, no. He said, tell me a literary agent just walked in off the street, bought a ticket to your show. Now you have a literary agent and a book deal. I said, yes. He said, I told you, you have to hang your ass out there. I love that saying. I have not heard it before, but I love it. And it's true. If they don't know where you are, if no one knows where you are and they can't find you, you what are you going to do? So you want to make those connections because you could. Look what's happening, as I said, the girl cave and Carol and everything. And, you know, one of my favorite stories is the time I went to do a a little tiny public access cable show, an interview. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't very good. And I was like, who is this person? I don't want to go to this. And I went. And there was nobody there. They were totally disorganized. I get to the studio, and there's literally no one there. I'm trying to find someone to check in with. There's not a soul. They're late. I'm the guest, and the host, and the producers aren't there. I'm like, great. I'm wandering the halls, and I meet this woman, and I don't know who she is. I think she works there. And I said, I'm Allison Arnger. And she said, yeah, good for you. <laughs> because she didn't work there. She was a subtle guest who was also cool in her heels in the green room and was none too happy. So we start talking. Eventually, everyone shows up. We go do our interviews, and we roll our eyes and go, well, that was lame. But the two of us start talking, and it turns out that she's Sue Hamilton, who was the artistic director for the Renberg Theater and the Gay and Lesbian Center in Hollywood. Oh, wow. And she'd heard I did stand-up. And we began to talk. And then we had lunch, and she booked my show into the Renberg, and that's where Confessions of a Prairie Bitch was actually born. She workshopped it with me, and that's why I have the show. That is awesome, yeah. She then directed me in uh, Last Summer Bluefish Cove, and then a few years later there was a small TV pilot she was directing, and she called me. I've done so many things with this woman. She's absolutely brilliant. She's been a huge influence in my career. I went to a tacky, bad public access cable show that I didn't want to go to, and we met randomly in a hallway. Yeah. Yeah, it's the total boots on the ground. Like, you've got to make the real-life connections thing again, too. It's just, yeah. yeah. And she's one of the biggest influences on my career. I mean, oh, my God. And so many of the crazy stories. The guy who booked me into New York, who I talk about in the book and everything, fabulous. And he's still creating stuff for me today and booking me. I went to an event in Texas because the actress who was supposed to do it was sick and couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll go. Yeah. And I met this guy. Oh, He's wow. Still yeah. My show. 
the sometimes if you don't go, sometimes things you go, well, that's not going to lead to anything. Why am I going to that? Go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's totally, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've studied improv, I've done a little bit with it. And like yeah. one of the precepts is accept all offers, right? Like <laughs> accept all offers. It's pretty much. If you never go, if you turn everything down and go, well, I can't go to that. I can't possibly go to that. You're never going to meet all of them. You don't know who was there. Maybe you were supposed to go there and you were supposed to meet this person who was going to make all these things happen for you. Yeah. It's so true. Yes. I love that. you got to hang your ass out there. To hang your ass out there. But I guess as nowadays with the Internet and GoFundMe and all the resources and all the projects and all the Facebook clubs, if you have something you want to get started, you can get it started now. Yeah, you know, I'd say just go do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. And and so then, I mean, I, I hate to even say goodbye because this has been so just amazing. And thank you. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a delightful hour. It's just amazing. Um, so and so my last question is, what are three ways you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world or in other people's lives? Okay, yes. Well, first one, and this is one I've been seeing people talk about lately, in fact, in the interviews on Facebook, but it's very old because it actually, I think, really comes out of a lot of stuff in the 12-step programs, out of like AA and Al-Anon and things like that. Um, make a gratitude list. Mm, yeah. People are talking about this again, finding that people who are happy are people who are grateful, and people who are successful are people who are grateful for what they have and understand who to thank and that they should be grateful for things. And um, therapeutically, and people AA, one of the things they often make people do is they will tell them to go get out a pad and pen and write down five things that they're grateful for. Mm-hmm. If they're particularly depressed and having a bad day, they'll say, okay, two, something. <laughs> ah! oh, yes. um, although if you have a very tough sponsor in a program and you say, I can't come up with five, they'll go, okay, then make it ten and call me tomorrow. Um, yeah. But literally write down five things in your life, concept things, people that you're grateful for. Sometimes do five, they do a long list where you can say write down five people you're grateful for, five things you're grateful for, five things that happened that you're, but come up with five things, anything that you're grateful that you have or that you did or that took place or whatever. Mm-hmm. And write them down and why you're grateful that, thank God, this is great that that happened. Start there. Some people have been doing it like every day. They've been doing like a positive thing every day. Write down one thing you're grateful for a day. If you have time, stop and just go, I am grateful for uh, popcorn. I'm so glad there is popcorn in the world. <laughs> yes. What will we do without anything? It doesn't matter what it is. Are you grateful? Yes, good. Do this every day. You will have a drastic improvement. Get some exercise. <laughs> yes. Anything at all. Take a walk. I don't know. Walk around your room. Get a standing desk. Jump up and down. Jump rope. Chase your children, your cat, whatever. Just get some kind of exercise every day. Move around. Don't just sit there. We sit in our cars. We sit at our desks. We sit at our jobs. We sit in front of the TV. Get Mm -hmm. up and get some kind of exercise a day. That's two things. Um, Three, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody Mm -hmm. on the phone. Talk to somebody in person. Yes, we know you spent six hours speaking to someone on the Internet. Now get up off the chair from the desk and go speak to someone in person. Anybody, the mailman, a stranger, go talk to somebody. Yes, yes. I agree, yes. If you're speaking to people, doing some kind of exercise, you're grateful for things. Okay, is that three? Is that how many you needed? That's three, yes. There you go. 
If you did those things every day, like literally 10 minutes of exercise, spoke to one person, even if it was like the cashier at the store, and came up with five things you're grateful. If you did these things every day for even five days, you would notice such a drastic improvement in your entire life. I love it. Those are all wonderful things mm-hmm. and very doable. They're very, very much within reach. So Right. If you start doing this, then you'll, then you'll go, okay, well, now I'm going to go back to the gym and I'm going to throw a party and have 20 people over and then I'm going to write a book. But those things you can start with. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much, Allison. You're welcome. <laughs> for your time today and, and all of your, your Thank gracious. you. This is a fun show. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I encourage you to head on over to the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com slash Allison Arngrim to get all of the show notes along with information on how to get that Nelly newsletter. I already got the first installment and it is great. For next week, of course, we have um, the episode where I'm recording live in front of an online audience. So I invite you to sign up for that over on jumpstartyourjoy.com. And lastly, for 2016, I do have a couple of coaching spots that have opened up. And so if you are feeling bored or burnt out in your career and looking for something new, or maybe you've had a life transition, um, something like had a child or just got married and you feel like you need to rebalance, or you're just feeling stuck and not sure what's going on, I would love to work with you. So if you would head on over to Jumpstart Your Joy, there'll be a call out there as well. And I look forward to hearing from you. Until next week, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.